Welcome to Accelerate OC, the only show focused on the people leading innovation in Orange County. Join our host, Kerry Ransom, in his conversations with the trendsetters, entrepreneurs, investors, and leaders here, because it's time to Accelerate OC. Welcome to Accelerate OC. I'm Kerry Ransom. Thanks to my friend, Chris Decker, for supporting our recording today. We are live from the OC4 Venture Studio here in Costa Mesa. We're in the heart of Orange County and the tech startup community here looking for your uh, tribe of ambitious misfit entrepreneurs. Come join us here at OC4 Venture Studio. Uh, You can find out more at OC4V.com. I have my friend Nick Smoot in town today and uh, I consider Nick kind of a man about the country, but he calls uh, Coeur d'Alene, Idaho home. And he is the CEO of Innovation Collective, which is uh, an education and human development company. And they really focus on inspiring a culture of innovation in the places where they plant and really turning ideas into reality that helps change lives. Uh, I can't say there are any better goals to get me fired up than, (laughs) than that. Uh, and they're really, you know, their two key goals are to activate all people through curated experiences and to activate innovation spaces. So we're going to talk about that today. Um, thanks for coming, Nick. Thanks you're, for being you're here. You're welcome. Thanks for having and, me. And uh, thanks to those of you that uh, showed up this morning to join us. So let's talk about your vision for Innovation Collective. This is something you've been working on for a while. Yeah. Uh, you're really making great progress, but tell the audience, you know, how did this come about? Yeah. Um, so my background, if I look at the, the, the way, way back story, mm-hmm. it actually goes even into childhood. Cause I, uh, when you were up at one of our summits, uh-huh. I was explaining, you kind of look for a thread in, yep. in everyone's life and it becomes that authentic sense of self. And something I've always been obsessed with was what is the one lever I can pull to get the results that everyone wants? And just not break any rules, but like just pull whatever levers that's smarter to pull. And uh, it's a funny story, and then I'll accelerate into the actual kind of background. But when I was a junior, I went to this private school, and they needed to figure out how to get extra books. And so they put out a book list. And this book list, the families could buy books for the kids, got extra credit. And they handed them out for each class. And so I kind of had a crazy idea. I was working at the time, making a lot of money at a little Italian restaurant and tips. So I had a ton of cash on hand. And so I went to the principal and said, Hey, you know, um, my parents, they're curious, quote unquote, my parents, they're curious. Uh, is there a limit on how many books you can buy? And they said, no, no, no. It'd be great if they want to buy some extra books. I was like, fantastic. So I went to one of those businesses that's no longer really around anymore. Hastings. Mm-hmm. And I took the whole list of every single class and said, I'd like these delivered to this address. And so they bought the whole list, paid for it. And they looked at me with this disdain when boxes and boxes of books were showing up on behalf of me. But uh, I had, you know, 400% credit that I could put across all my classes and selectively <laughs> chose what I wanted to work on for my whole junior year of high school. <laughs> and it, it, it works itself into that thinking of what I'm obsessed about as a person is, um, that lever of behavioral economics like can I can I find the quicker way to get the, the job done and for me I am 37 and 
missed some of the economic boom and busts of the 80s, even the dot-com. I was just graduating high school, mm-hmm. so I wasn't really paying attention. And then um, the most recent for me was Occupy Movement, really watching the outcome of that, and then 08. And I had uh, gotten into the entrepreneurship game, built and sold through my own companies. And on the last one was at the Milken Institute for Milken Global. And um, that year, Carlos Slim and Tony Blair and Gates were there and a lot of the different power players. And it was the beginning of this discussion of something's breaking uh, at that level. And I do not consider myself at that level in that room. I'm mm-hmm. the total outside kind of guy. but Just in the right room. In the right room somehow. I, I, somehow I weaseled my way in there. And uh, outside, you had people picketing and yelling high levels of security. And it was as if, um, you know, for me, it showed this really, really sad, scary issue. But then that weird side in my brain that loves the game and like what lever can I pull was like, oh, there's a lever to pull here. Can we build a bridge between the incredibly elite with lots and lots of money who are a little bit nervous about the masses while it's breaking and a bridge between the masses who they just want an equitable opportunity Mm -hmm. and both are really kind of scared and angry but both really could get along so it's like is it possible to play that game uh and that's what really started this Mm -hmm. um and it's been my obsession of how to build that bridge and teach people how to build the bridge from both sides Mm -hmm. that's really really interesting so you're several years in yeah Seven, um, yeah. you've made you've made progress but i was just literally reading this morning that i think the 85 percent of equities are held by just less than 10 yeah. percent of the of the u.s population so the the concentration has only continued yep. so in one hand like there was a backlash after the financial crisis oh, yeah. but it really hasn't had a meaningful uh, equalizing effect, but no. there's been this almost like this extended boom. People have have jobs. People have maybe a, a sense of security that they maybe better had yeah. than you know ten years ago. But things haven't equalized. So what yeah. what do you think's ahead for us in the next ten years? Yeah, I think. Um, one of the most crucial points about how it hasn't equalized, um, it's two things. One, it's a systematic uh, scenario where we've got to figure out a better way to get access to capital um, to individuals. Mm-hmm. Um, right now, look, you can't just go to VCs and everyone gets VC money. Mm-hmm. That's just stupid. Yep. That's not a possible path. But then when you look at things like SBA, um, it's a pretty cumbersome process. Mm-hmm. I don't know if anybody's ever tried to get an SBA loan. Like, it's not too fun. Mm-hmm. Um and things like that we need to rethink Mm -hmm. um and so that's one piece um the the other side of it and free money for everyone i'm not a believer in that i think ubi is interesting but Mm -hmm. there's better methods um what does intrigue me though and I think people need to be held more accountable to this is the fact that they don't hold equities. Um, there's a good percentage of that people just because it's human behavior and it's laziness. Yep. Uh, we need to all be held accountable for our behavior. That's mm-hmm. poor. And we don't do that in society well, because we don't have support systems. So in the next decade, um, what I see from our perspective and hopefully for the work that we're doing 
because we are getting to start to work with people in DC and some of the governors and, you know, Department of Labor and starting to try and change the, the narrative a bit. Uh, one of the, it has to happen is that we have to have these support systems where all humans can um, use their social time to start to improve upon themselves and start to kind of level up with aspiration, inspiration, accountability, technical skills, soft skills. Mm -hmm. And it's not some sort of course you go to. It's just a lifestyle instead mm -hmm. of, you know, pissing away your time at the bar. Um, that to me, hopefully is in the next 10 years, a movement of kind of awareness. Mm -hmm. um, there's there, That's the utopian, right? Um, and then hopefully, uh, I also am a big believer, Brookings just released a, um, a report on federal government reallocating R&D dollars to mm -hmm. kind of tier two, tier three universities. And Mark Murrow at Brookings is someone I've been working with for a while. We have a very similar theory on private sector and federal dollars reallocating R&D monies into trusts over mm -hmm. geographies to help people pursue their curiosities um, as an access to capital point before there's debt or equity involved. Mm -hmm. um, because some people don't have uh, the capital. No, right? like most don't. I mean, clearly, like I just described that it's so concentrated yep. that I would say most don't. They're hand to mouth. And, you know, what we also see, I mean, I just, again, I don't think it was this article, but one another one I've read in the last 24 hours said the current business formation trajectory is still at less than two-thirds the level pre-financial crisis. Wow. Where you would think we would have had, I mean, with the amount of a boom, boom and everything, you would have thought, yeah, that, but I think this concentration is a problem because people that have a little bit of money in their pocket are going to be a little bit more willing. Mm -hmm. Um, so you have, you have, you know, capital in your personal balance sheet, you have yeah. capital access, you have a culture even where you've seen these companies that employ mass Walmart, Amazon, others that, that employ massive amounts of, people and it's fascinating to see other parts of the world that are starting to actually develop a little bit more entrepreneurial uh, energy yeah. where they're just they're they're almost changing and where they direct ambition and saying hey we the most ambitious people in this area are going into banking or consulting or something right. like that let's redirect that toward entrepreneurial yeah. endeavors and support them uh, to go pursue those because it is a more noble, it yeah. is a, is a more impactful way of existing in the world. Well, and I think something that's going to make the next 10 years very interesting and arguably precarious um, is that we will watch, my personal opinion, I have some data from some groups on the amount of job displacement that's coming um, that work pretty closely with the CHROs across the country. Mm -hmm. And we're not talking like small numbers. We're talking tens of thousands in single companies in single cities that mm -hmm. will be displaced mm -hmm. and that they already have um, replacements for them, algorithms and mm -hmm. uh, bots and things that are performing the exact same work in tandem right now. But the fear for fiduciary responsibility or for the markets is if we got rid of them now, sure. stock price could go down because this could be a bad moment for us as a brand or could hurt brand equity. Um, I think in the next 10 years, we will have some form of, you know, a winter mm -hmm. economically. Mm -hmm. And in that winter storm, 
we will see a lot of people um, laid off. And I think it will be viewed as a, a tightening of the belt. Sorry, guys. And uh, that'll be the that's what they're waiting for. I think. It'll, be, it'll be the cover. Yes. And much like if you look at Stanford, Connecticut, that was, um, you know, bustling with all these people in the markets running around doing all these things. Well, 08 happened. Um, those high rises are not full of people again. Mm-hmm. They're full of you know, quant computers and systems. Um, you know, less suits are being sold in Stanford, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. Um, that is going to make the next 10 years interesting. And one of the most important things, I think, for every single human being, if anybody's listening to this, please hear me. Um, all four people. All four in the room. <laughs> and, you know, the, the 4.9 million people who obsess over Carrie Ransom. Um, listen to his podcast. But uh, it's this idea that w- we have used humans as machines. Mm-hmm. And as a machine, we do a very repetitive task. There's nothing wrong with that. We had need for that in society. But a lot of jobs are not fantastic. Um, but people find identity, they find camaraderie, they find a lot of the most you know human mm-hmm. needs, mm-hmm. and we're actually bastardizing ourselves to try and figure out how to meet those needs in work that doesn't really do that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, trucking. You know, they're on that. Right. Uh, hey yes. there, how you doing? Social connection. I'm a driver, truck driver. Um, when those go away, we're going to have to rediscover how do people find that authentic sense of self again, mm-hmm. uh, and. I think we a mantra I've been using is we go from machines to being magicians. And as magicians, it's this idea of like you probably will have whatever it is to stay, stay alive and survive as your mm-hmm. work. But then remember, you know, a magician is somebody who um, understands their authentic sense of self. Um, it's somebody who has a work ethic mm-hmm. that works hard, that talks to people nicely and, you know, can have interpersonal communication and problem solving skills and I talk about those the four rules of magic and have teaching my boys and then these awareness things of you know authentic sense of self really what makes you tick inside if you know that and if you're with a community of people that you like and you get to work on some little side hustle project that you think might change the world people are really happy mm-hmm. even if they're not making a lot of money Yes. And that's where I think there's a mistake that people believe is that, you know, we need equal wealth distribution. Mm-hmm. Bullshit. Yeah, we definitely don't need that. No, what we need is we need um, a path and some accountability and an invite in saying, hey, this is a better way to human. Mm-hmm. Uh, and when you human this way, you actually find more joy and connectivity and you have enough. Uh, and you can spend your hours in the garage laughing, cutting off your fingers, and it's okay. Mm-hmm. Um, and maybe one moment you figure it out and you've got something worth $30 million on your hands. Maybe you don't, but at least you had great relationships and community while you're working on things. That's right. Well, it's the journey. I mean, that's like the, you know, humaning, if, if that's, if we start to use that as more of a actual verb, I mean, it is the journey. I, you know, I, you know, I've done countless now, it seems like startup companies and what's kept me going is the, it's the journey. It's the people. Yep. Um, it's the pursuit. It's not just the the prize, right? You, the outcome's really hard to usually even forecast. It's right. um, the pursuit of it. It's the the challenge of it. It's the learning that that goes on. It's the relationships and yeah, in the trenches that make it all when in the worthwhile. Next- but we only celebrate in many cases the outcome. 
the pot of gold. We're awful at that. Yeah. And, you know, that's, the, I don't know if it's our, um, you know, short attention span media landscape that, you know, where the, the blame is, but it just, that's part of why I started this is to say, mm-hmm. like, there, there are great stories here in people that are sharing their journeys yeah. and their struggles. And, yeah. um, you know, far too often, hey, I raised $100 million, bing, bang, boom, right. I sold it for a billion. Right. And, way to go you're amazing you're the and legend we should all be yes. like yeah. and you know every once in a while though you know maybe behind closed doors we'll go i just got lucky i you know right right, right place right time mm-hmm. uh and that you know we we need to um as you said we, we got to be more open and inclusive and and supportive of uh, as i say like the ideas can come from anywhere so don't you know whether it's my 10 year old son right. or you know 90 year old and it doesn't matter matter. yeah well and i think um in the next 10 years could be very utopian or dystopian of people lose their identity and if we can continue in a cycle of um dishonesty about humanity that's a a major problem in my opinion when you talk about like why do we only celebrate the wins well i think it's because we live in this ecosystem of kind of shame and dishonesty Mm -hmm. as a culture I don't know where it came from. Like, I'm not smart enough to go down that rabbit hole. Don't really want to. But the realities of it um, are is that that's what we have. So we have a world where people um, at Google, at Facebook, at Microsoft, at Boeing, they're struggling mm-hmm. as humans. Mm-hmm. We're all super magical and we have incredible powers trapped inside of us. We can come up with the most incredible things and take, you know, sand and lightning and make a phone basically like think about that it's like incredible um but we're all kind of pieces of garbage like that's the reality of humanity like we're on this fine razor's edge Mm -hmm. and it's like and we're just wobbling along and if you really uh, you know question why we celebrate the wins i think it's because we're so afraid that if people saw us for that Mm -hmm. they wouldn't accept us that's right and that has been so abusive to economics um and it's got to break in mm-hmm. the next uh decade in my opinion and rebuild something much better yeah that's a that's a really uh I, I think a very good sort of visual representation of of how i think a lot of a lot of us feel at times right are yeah. we, are we we were schizophrenic about it. It, it, you know, depending on if it's 3 a.m. and we're wide awake or if it's right. four in the afternoon and right. we just got off a successful call or meeting, right? Yeah. So it, that's that's us in our emotional uh, highs and lows. So um, all of you that are here, thank you. And get your questions ready because I want you guys to be part of this conversation. So before um, that, though, you know, one of the things that I uh, I'm really have taken up here is how do we address the apathy or complacency that exists? So if you look yeah. on the surface here, people have jobs, the economy seems good for now. Yeah. Things seem, you know, we're, we're, I live in essentially the best place in the world to live. Yep. Weather's great. Yes. Money's everything, good. Yes. Everything seems on the surface to be great, but there are some cracks underneath. Mm-hmm. And as a result, a lot of people just aren't, engaged they're not participating in these kinds of conversations yeah and they're not i would say they're not paying attention to the world rapidly changing around us they're going through the the motions of the day-to-day and they're surviving had you know maybe just uh, right. just above water 
like how do we how do you see before things get bad bleak yeah how do you see us reaching and including them in the conversation hmm you know i i i'm a i'm a big fan of the idea that propaganda has started and ended wars and going back to my earlier comments on what's the biggest lever to pull um i think it's important to find the coalition of the willing first Mm -hmm. like who are the people who just want to be a part of making change Mm -hmm. Um, yeah right like (laughs) it's the people who um just don't care and like we're gonna do this because it's a mission it's a purpose and let's invite everyone onto our bus it'll make things better yeah like Like for me it's it's for my kids totally and so you start to get like that community and as you meet people on the streets like hey get on the bus with us like we get together here's this consistent pattern of gathering and we talk about these things you know our 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 model and system with innovation collective you know we, we run about 70 events per year per community we have 36 plus free events um, we put them in the newspapers. We then have all these technical and life skills trainings, and we have our incubation mentorship and think tanks, and, our, and then our accelerator and the venture fund and placemaking. Like it's this whole system where, as you run into people into the community, you kind of they get infected, and then they go, "Oh, hey, you should join us on this bus, and we're going somewhere." Jumping back to the propaganda thing. And it's it's twofold, actually. Let me get back to the bus for a second, then the propaganda. On the bus, it's really important to, uh, coming back to the word human, just be human together. Mm-hmm. And it becomes a part of their social life, and it's not a burden. So we've discovered with a lot of our events, we actually can replace date night, and it's more meaningful, mm-hmm. which sounds crazy. But when you interview an interesting entrepreneur or um, the superintendent of schools or someone who's owned the grocery store for like four family generations in town. And it's like, tell us the stories of struggle. And then you give everyone free wine and beer. And then you watch people go out to dinner before as like partners. And then they come to this event and then they walk out talking, you know, is that better than going to a movie? I don't know. I think it is. And as you start to kind of make it a part of the social life mm-hmm. do art and culture nights bring in an artist and like just paint one of your walls and then paint it white again um and, and it creates this space where it's attractive for people to be a part of this community and tribe and you start to squash loneliness and then the right conversations can continue to happen that cause people to maybe sober up a bit um and mu- much like um you know we are a non-religious non-political organization however I love how the Mormon church has structured themselves. I am a student of studying this thing. Um, not a Mormon, but man, it is bonkers. If you know anything about them, like their buildings are exactly the same shape and size and structure. They have the same message. Um, people volunteer to give it like the, the talk. They're put in the middle of communities and schools and people go to it just for the community and they get, they get in this loop, even if they're not sure what they believe, Mm -hmm. like, no, 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 but this is like my tribe. And they're so good at doing like the connection piece. That is part of flipping the apathy game is people in Orange County are stupidly lonely. Mm -hmm. They will tell you they're not, but they are. Look at the data across our country. They're not, um, enjoying time with their neighbors effectively they're not having really deep meaningful conversations consistently and however you can build that around this 
um, ideology of what does the future of work look like, that is a whole journey that I think a lot of people mm-hmm. want to get on the bus for. Mm-hmm. The propaganda piece, just plain and simple, is find ways to tell the stories of this and the stories of rapidly changing innovation and technology and acceleration through media. And that can be social media, that can be um, you know, print media, national news, local news, um, speaking at Rotary Chamber, which sounds silly, but mm-hmm. all those, like it's a chance. And you're like, let me, let me get this propaganda out to you all. Um, you can, I can't tell how many times I've spoken at like a Rotary and it is like the sea of gray. It's just mm-hmm. senior citizens everywhere. And when you start talking about, um, you know, automation and robotics and potentially 30 to 40% of jobs being displaced in a massive retraining cycle we're not prepared for, they get super excited and then they're scared and then they don't know what to think and then they're kind of confused. And I can't tell you how meaningful it was in one of our communities, um, you know, went to a restaurant had a meeting and behind me were two little grandmothers with a bunch of newspaper clippings and they were discussing robotics and this is in our robot city because each town we give a vertical focus and they're discussing robotics with all the clippings of articles that we've kind of flighted in the newspaper journals have covered on mm-hmm. you know the work of our, our team there and conversation was do you think this is good do you think it's bad i don't know and uh, that city passed laws to become the first city in the world. Um, uh, Ati, Elena says, the first city in the universe, by the way, to give robots the same rights as humans on public property. Mm-hmm. He's the founder and CEO of Starship Technologies, the world's large, longest autonomous delivery company. Um, but they were talking about this, and the grandmothers kind of put a pin in it and said, well, if it gives jobs to our, to our uh, grandkids and can let them come back here, then I say this is good. Um, and it was this like moment, like, ah, and they didn't even know I was like right there. It's like, ah, we're winning uh, the propaganda machine. Mm. So don't, don't, um, discount propaganda, I guess. Really interesting. I, I mean, it, it, as I was sitting here thinking too, that you're talking about, you know, the meaningful, deep conversations that are lacking largely. And I think we've, we've moved at this point in the country largely to this place where, we spend incredible amounts of our time working. Mm-hmm. And then when we're not working, we don't want to talk about work. So it's like this escapism yeah. as opposed to really talking about how do we make all this time that we're spending with our life better right, and more meaningful, right? which that, that seems a very worthwhile set of conversations that we should be having much more of than we, than we are. And socially, uh, we have a rally cry that came from a really great innovator. I don't even want to call him an entrepreneur because mm-hmm. I struggle with the word entrepreneur, to be honest. Yes. I don't know if it's a good word or not um, because sometimes it feels a little out of reach for the average person. I don't know if Philo Farnsworth would call himself an entrepreneur. Um, and Philo was a corn farmer, right? Um, but Philo also created the, the television. Like that's mm-hmm. been a significant impact on the world. Yes, it has. Um, I doubt he was ever like, I'm an entrepreneur. Do you need to do, 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 like a little piece of you know, hay out of his mouth. Mm-hmm. Um, there's something about just being curious and experimentation and declassifying that as work and viewing work as work is um, where I spend my energies if I'm not lucky enough to be an innovator. And then there should be this whole other side of our life where it's like, no, we're creators and innovators. Mm -hmm. 
and we're shooting to change the world and see the stars and visit them and shift societies and rebuild um, grandiose things because it doesn't matter if you are uh, a single mother, homeless, a child, um, a senior citizen, mid-career, everyone has those ideas and there isn't a social gathering or a place to not only let them out of you, but then to kind of refine them, experiment with them and potentially scale them. Mm -hmm. And the exercise of that is so good for humanity and it's not work. It's a better version of social time and it creates ridiculously amazing IP that um, if you figure out the right method, which we spent seven years doing it, you can create a direct pipeline to the publicly traded companies and go around a lot of the venture capitalists and give them JVs with proven IP that then mm -hmm. they can go and dominate markets with. It is stupidly smart. And soon everyone's waking up and figuring out how to index in between with us, which is fine as well. But all of that comes from one little phrase that kind of breaks the work narrative. And it's this it comes from Bert, who first guy, he built a plane that flew around the world without ever stopping. Um, X Prize started and they said, Hey, let's see who can go to space three times in a week. And Bert's like, Hey, we can do that. And so he and his buddies out in Mojave built a giant rocket and went to space three times in a week. Um, no one knows this really. There's a great documentary on YouTube. I think it's called Dark Sky or Black Sky. It's from Bert and his team. And it's when they won the X Prize. But on the third flight up, none of the panels worked. None of the gauges worked and they still went for it and like went to space and landed a spaceship without the gauges. Mm. Incredible. And it all comes from this phrase he uses and we've turned it into an award we give out in each city. Um, and the award is his ear and his sideburn bronzed. And so you get this really <laughs> ridiculous looking award for your desk and it's called the confidence in nonsense award. It's the mm. rattan confidence in nonsense. And that phrase, I think more humans need to hold on to. Mm. And I think that leads to more innovation, creativity, entrepreneurship, um, and nonsense thinking that moves us away from work life mm -hmm. um, in, a, in a healthy way. Awesome. Yeah. Thoughts, questions? I think there's, excuse me, I think there's like these authors like Leo Buscalia. Okay. Like a really cool guy, very like humanist guy. Yeah, I'm just curious, you mentioned a couple, you know, startups. What was your first exit or your first project? No, definitely talked about the journey, but what was that early W that kind of helped you kind of level up? Yeah, Bustala, by the way, you said? Yeah, Bustalia. He was a okay, perfect. USC, I want to say. Ooh, sorry. Cool I think you like this stuff. It's writing him down in my notes so I don't miss it. Um, thank you for that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, my first one was called Taylor Study Method, which then became Triad Learning Systems. Oh, cool. But uh, it was, I worked with churches and schools and then some of the parents in that uh, of the kids had an investment group and they owned assets across the country and then asked if I would come on and help them do some turnaround consulting, got involved there. And one of the guys said, hey, I want to start a, a learning management company for psychology. And I thought, I don't know anything about psychology, but this sounds like fun. So I did it and we founded it out of Wahoo. And we, it was a really interesting journey um, to where we were the first to digitize the whole body of psychology and put it on the internet and then have an LMS wrapped around it. And that gave us this ridiculous price elasticity that we could play with for we're not shipping, we're giving access, um, but also realized how hard it was to have a good body of content um, and use crowdsourcing to kind of refine it quite a bit 
but over time <clears throat> that company i sold my 25 percent back to the other partners and then went on to do my next company but came back to help them buy out a lot of the um, assets of edmc and so now th that company owns about 90 percent of the whole market for marriage and family therapy training and e-triple-p wow. prep and it was a cool win um, where got to help build something that destabilized a market but was the bigger lever back to that narrative that gave the people what they wanted and gave the world of psychology what they needed more psychologists so it um kind of went after the companies that were playing off of fear yeah. um but it was fun yeah yeah i'd love to get, me, get your perspective in terms of the, the various markets you've worked in and kind mm -hmm. of density or lack thereof and how that expresses itself or, or how that shows itself with the called the innovation entrepreneurial ecosystem either being, yeah. you know, getting together or being spread out and not having those, those yeah yeah to, yeah i think talk talk about some of the different community sure. dynamics we i know we've talked about yeah, know, is population there a minimum yeah, is there a minimum size or you, yeah i was gonna say population like, density deal flow density um from a perspective I'd say, well so orange county we've got 30 yes 34 cities 34 yeah 34 cities yeah and we're all over and so yeah Right. Perfect. Yeah. No, that's that's a, a good point. Um, you're absolutely right. I would say one of the things you see in smaller markets. So, taking a step back, actually, um, if you know this the show Napoleon Dynamite, mm -hmm. um, I, I've been to that little town. Um, we we sent Apple there and Sphero, the CTO of the United States and the Obama administration and set up a little coding academy there and now people can learn to code for free there we did 20 city tour with apple across the united uh, idaho one state and set up all these free colleges with ag extension which by the way if anybody's listening and knows anything about ag extension super underutilized resource uh, it's in every single county it's real estate that's never full of people has high-speed internet electricity um, ac and is within driving distance of most humans in our country that's my piece on that but um that little city where Napoleon Dynamite was filmed, we're talking like 3,000-ish people. Um, and then, you know, you, you scale up and we're doing some work with the whole country of Aruba. Uh, we have some work that we do in Syracuse. We have Boise, Idaho, a little bit bigger. Spokane, Washington, bigger. Um, we're starting some projects in San Francisco, much bigger. The difference, and you mentioned it, about in a small market when it's ready to go and has some strong leadership you can get collective action very quickly uh, especially if it's you know 150,000 people um, everyone's kind of sitting around going like well what's next and to be able to put the flag on the ground and go this is where we're going it's really easy to grab everyone by the ears quickly when there's 150,000 people um newspaper print and you have a series of coffee shops right so people start to bump into each other and you can get outsized per capita deal flow quicker um, but you can't get the capital and talent that you can in a larger market so you have to have a right size perspective on what a win is based on population base and what an appropriate exit pathway should be uh, I'm a big believer in cities under 1 million should probably be thinking through the idea of have your crazy idea, 
pin it down, get some early stage capital, rally the talent around it, prove that it's you broke it, you scaled it a little bit, it's ready to rock. Now take this intellectual property and you don't sell it. I think the right pathway and the most interesting one to me is the next step is do multiple joint ventures and avoid the licensing deal. JV gives you more meat on the bone and you let these big brands do shipping, distribution, manufacturing, logistics, marketing, what have you, and let them go fight the kings because you can't take on all these monsters. It's like pick your, you know, do you want Godzilla or do you want this other monster? It's like pick the one and let them go fight. Your job is to keep coming up with new things that they want and be kind of a decentralized R&D engine. I think that's a beautiful model for under 1 million for population base because it just it doesn't take as much money or talent to get to that level. But you can still create really powerful things that sometimes get squashed because they try and become the next unicorn. And then someone goes, try me, bam, and just crushes them. Well, I think that's what's holding back a lot of the new business formation right now is people see maybe I have an idea, but that path from idea to oh, unicorn is such a massive yeah. chasm that terrifying i'm i'm not going to start because i don't i'm i'm confident to go start something but i'm not maybe confident enough to go start something that can go that right far well and we we and, say build yeah. wolves not unicorns and it's this idea of run as a pack um you know be multi-generational if you know anything about wolf packs study if you don't really fascinating they play together um they're very serious they're very um, transactional at times, but honest. And then they continue to move forward with very accepting, kind of forgiving mentality. But you play your role and together they can take down bigger things, but they're lean, they share. Um, but when you're the one who has the win, they get the bigger portion. It's really fascinating to watch. And I think that should be more of a model for entrepreneurship. Wolves, not unicorns. And you know, unicorns aren't real they're kind of fluffy <laughs> and they think they're special right and all the drawings of them they what they you know fart rainbows it's like no wolves are very real right and they're skinny and they struggle and they die and we've seen them before and they're kind of cute and you might want to pet it but it might bite your hand like there's a fun play there that i think should hook in the world and it should shake silicon valley to its core because that was what silicon valley was it was wolves mm. And it was wolves funded by the federal government to try and save us in the middle of a war. Like, don't ever forget that. That's what built the valley. And we can talk about all the other things people think it was and like how special they all are. And they dropped acid and built phones. But like, no, it's the federal government saying we need help. And a bunch of real nerdy people came together scrappily to save our country. And out of that, beautiful things have happened and great advancements. But um, we've got this outsized perspective that now, you know, funnel a bunch of money into us, blow us up and we can go change the world. The the other thing I was going to say, but in bigger markets that we've done some work in and we've worked with some of the EDCs in Manhattan and, you know, um, spend a lot of time in San Francisco right now, I will say um, in those markets, what I see is deal flow is still very abundant. The one space people seem to be missing is it's the deal flow from the others. And that's a an under under capitalized under um, utilized resource and how you get it to get that collective action and get people to move quicker is still a wide open space doesn't matter if it's the city of chicago manhattan san francisco uh, miami it, it, it orange county um, it's about being consistent with the right narrative and inviting the right people and staying tunnel 
very tunnel and not feeling the weird echo chamber of all the other things happening around you in those markets because they're already set, right? Like um, the VCs are killing it in the Bay. They're doing a great job, but there's a massive opening um, that is being, being overlooked in my opinion. And I think um, a lot of professors are ready to play in that space. A lot of young entrepreneurs are, um, a lot of capital as well. Um, but in those bigger cities, I think they're very comfortable, like LA. Um, I lived in Los Angeles for quite a while and, you know, people just kind of do their thing. They go to work, run, run the wheel. Um, I think the opportunity there, people don't, you know, they're healthy, they're fit, they have good money in the bank, and yet there's still something that feels like it's missing. Mm-hmm. So smaller markets, people are like, I have more that's missing, but in these bigger ones, don't don't ever forget it's that like social component of meaningful discussions um, that I think is always there, big and small markets. Yeah. So how do you think you get people like typical investors in Orange County who are investing in real estate to actually start investing when they start to be here? Yeah. Because often they're scared, mm-hmm. they don't want any risk, and real estate is often a safe investment. So how do you get them to start investing in the community and the town sphere? Right. That's a great question. Um, I think quite a bit of it it's two things is build through that remember when i was talking about the social activity concept like build the scrappy early phases on shoestring and uh, we sometimes think we need more money than we do to change the world and if we can make that into a social activity where people use some of their savings and tinker around the garages like you know, remember how we invented electricity and other crazy things. Sometimes we just, you know, try something wild. That can have magnificent impact and can start to show these really interesting potentials. And with these people who maybe love asset class like a real estate game, all it needs is it needs like one or two deals that starts to create this feeling of was that one going to go somewhere like is it is it that one that's going to be the one that's the next instagram because it it doesn't matter if you're like donald bren right they all know about the instagram story of like they made no money and they got millions how do i do that um and so i think it's about the commitment from a small group of that coalition of the willing to everyone is percolating and when there's a champion everyone goes oh we got one we got one we got one let's make it happen and that might mean some people being the first movers with some capital in and inviting those old stodgy players in and i will say sometimes two things need to happen to really get them to move that i've seen because we have some real estate people you know that own millions and millions of square feet that are in our deals but we also have like tony fadal who you know created the the iPhone, um, one of the gens, and the iPod and Nest. Sometimes they need the real estate folk. Um, they need someone to lead with what is good pricing of a deal. Um, help them understand the diligence, not to be predatory, because they'll come in and go, "Well, you show me your EBITDA." And it's like, uh, okay, that's not going to happen. Yeah. Um, <laughs> We're still a few years away. Yeah, 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 and. Uh, and then they'll want, you know, 4X preference. And it's like, no, don't be an ass. Like, come on now. And they need somebody to be that, you know, lead person 
who's saying, I know this game mm-hmm. a little bit. Now, I might not be the best, but you know, like for, for me, that's been a role I get to play across the country in these communities. And, you know, I've been kissed by Richard Branson on the cheek in a deal and have uh, sat with different interesting, you know, private equity people and um, have spent time in Bentonville talking through economics with, you know, the family. And then I've also spent time with Noam Chomsky, like real weird world. Um, and so it gives me some authority around like deals and things have accelerated. And when we'll get in and we go, this is how we treat the company fairly inequitably then it levels their expectations appropriately. And they feel as though because we're in, um, that it has a better chance of success and that we're committed to it because we have a dog in the fight with them. And the other one that helps them kind of like freak out a little bit and move is if you can get an outside player like a Tony or like a big corporate to come in, then it's like, oh, well, this is a no-brainer then. And is it a no-brainer? No, you might lose your shirt still, right? But are your chances better in that scenario? Absolutely. Um, and the other thing I will say is have compassion for that person, like the the real estate, you know, right. mogul, or the the optometrist, or the the banker. Nothing against like Silicon Valley Bank, but like a traditional banker, right? Um, a lot of these folks have been hit up for money often. <laughs> And they are being pitched by their neighbors and friends and all these people. And so, you know, then they'll get in on a deal. And if the deal is just their capital coming in, then what's going to happen is it's capital call, capital call, capital call. They're going to beg for money and they're running out. And this guy doesn't know how, or gal doesn't know how much money to give them. Mm -hmm. And so you just gave them enough rope to actually hang themselves, not actually climb out of a hole. And that plus maybe they don't even have a network that can help. Maybe they don't even have the words to help you through your struggle because they've never experienced it. They've bought, you know, stick buildings and filled them up with bodies. And so like they don't have that narrative. And once they invest and get burnt once or twice, they'll go, oh, there's no good deals in this market. Ah, see, it's like, well, that's not true. That deal is probably great, but it didn't have the right structure and fixings to actually make it win. You know, if you buy a turkey from the store and leave it on your front porch, it's not going to be a great Thanksgiving dinner. <laughs> like you probably should treat it the right way. Yes, uh, that's a that's a great point. And, and I think you know, the, my just add to that is just invite them to the party. Yeah, and make it a great party to to join. Get and on the so, bus, come and, paint with us. Right? Yeah, in yeah. some cases, you know, I think what we've experienced here is there just aren't a lot of people here that are willing to go first, mm-hmm. and so. Well, um, some first, of us, so. yeah, yeah, some of us have to take that up and say, "Hey, we we are we're willing to to roll up our sleeves, do the hard work, yep. and we're going to include a lot of other people because if they participate, then um, they're going to have good stories to tell. They're going to have yeah. successes. They're going to want to be be more of a part of it. And and there's yeah. some great story. I mean, Grant, who's here, is you know a great story of someone who didn't have a background." In, in this, but has become unbelievably literate and capable and I would say additive to the companies that that's great uh, he's in and it's amazing he's in you know, and he's inviting other people to the to the party which I think How he it should just, be yeah he he sort of leads by example we just need a hundred more of you here <laughs> well, it's, and it's like stone soup I don't know if you ever heard that before <laughs> but stone soup it's a, a fun story about you know someone who's got a pot of water. And someone walks by and they put a couple rocks and they go, oh, what are you making? I'm like, oh, I'm making stone soup. 
You know, oh, well, that's stone soup. Oh, it's it's uh, soup. You got to let it boil for a long time. Oh, well, could I throw some celery in there? And you're like, yeah, you can put some celery in there. So then bring some celery and someone walks by and goes, what, what are you making? Oh, we're making stone soup. And then the two people go, oh, yeah, well, it's got some celery and some rocks in it. It's really, really tasty. And they're like, well, could I, could I put some carrots in it? Yeah, go grab your carrots. Mm-hmm. And then could I throw a little bit of, you know, chicken stock in there? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. On and on and on it goes. And everyone's standing around waiting for the stone soup to cook. And now it's full of all these different pieces. And it's this invitation to the party. I'm like, <laughs> hey, let's everyone throw something in. And, and I think that's the culture of what you're building. And people need to see the first person that's crazy enough mm-hmm. to put the pot out and be like, I'm making stone soup. <laughs> Who wants to come? <laughs> yeah. That's right. That's right. We, uh, yeah, we're the pot's out. We're ready. We're ready to, yeah, to take, uh, more, more, uh, ingredients. And they're, and they're in every community. Well, any other, any other, uh, thoughts, questions? All right. Well, Nick, uh, you know, last, last thing I always, uh, kind of end my shows with letting the guests share that last piece of wisdom or lesson that they've learned <laughs> that they want to impart. So we've got a growing group of, uh, innovators here in Orange County that, that like seemingly like this show and hearing from people That's like awesome. you. So I'm really grateful for you being here, but what, any last word of wisdom you'd love to, to leave? Yeah. Um, I I think it's just that every human being is ridiculously powerful. Um, and I mean that when I say every human being, the homeless person you walk by that is just off their rocker. Um, the employee that's just driving you insane. Um, your partner that you're frustrated at business, domestic, doesn't matter. Like they're really magical and powerful. And we've got to find a better way to human better and to treat behavior as a part of our economy and build really meaningful things together and unlock that magic in each of us. That's what a true ecosystem looks like. That's um, Hmm. what entrepreneurship should look like. That's the new GDP um, that needs to be quantified effectively. Um, So I think it's just really at its core it's just know your neighbor's a badass mm-hmm. and believe that. Um, that's awesome. Yeah. That's awesome. Well, and I think this automation wave, it, it is like you can, you can have this really dark dour view of it. Mm-hmm. I think it's going to unlock our humanity massive to be able to, to, to find that magic and find that power because we don't have to spend our time on these inhuman behaviors that yeah. we have for far too long so i'm i'm really excited i could not be more grateful that you are here and and joined us today and and shared your um your inspiration because it's it's so powerful and i'm excited that we were able to capture this and, and share it with the folks here thanks Orange for having County. me Karen. so thanks it's for being fun. here You've just listened to Accelerate OC. Join our live recordings every Tuesday morning at accelerateoc.com or listen, like, and share anytime from your favorite podcast spot. Let's Accelerate OC together.